You are listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Assembly, Sedalia, Missouri. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about the church, you can reach us at www.bethelassembly.info. We are in a series. We've been in for five weeks now. Uh, quite honestly, I, have, I had never up to this point done a series on the book of Genesis before. It had never been one of those books that really popped out to me of, hey, we need to go through and study this book. You know, you look at New Testament books oftentimes, the book of Acts, a great book to study. The book of Romans, Corinthians, either one of them are great books. The book of John, I've processed too numerous of these. Or Philippians, one of my favorite books of all times is the book of Philippians. We process through these books, but as I was looking at what to do and what series to go into, I began to pray, God, what would you have us to do? What area would you have us to look? And he said, turn to the book of Genesis. That's where I want you to start. And I thought, all right. Quite honestly, I don't, didn't know how long we were going to be in this book. And come to find out, I think we're going to be in this book a lot, lot longer than I thought we were going to be in. We are in week five, and we are just now in chapter two. Week number one, we talked about Genesis chapter one, verse one, two, and the first portion of three. Week number two, we looked at evolution versus versus creationism. What do those look like? Week number three and four, we jump back into Genesis chapter one, verse one, in the beginning, God. It took two weeks to get out of verse one. So this week I thought, you know what, we've talked enough about creation itself. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2 and see what happens. This is a study that we're simply calling Origin, a study on the book of Genesis. We're going to take our time through this book. We're not going to rush our way through it. And I would encourage you during the week to take some time and read through the book of Genesis yourself. Process through this book. Tonight I want to move past chapter 1, I want to move into chapter 2 of this great foundational book. We've talked about creation, we've talked about debunking evolution, we've even talked about how God and his characteristics affect our lives each and every day. But tonight I want to look at chapter 2 and I want to see what's happening and how does that pertain to our lives in 2018. You see, God has spoken... All that we know into existence. It started with, let there be light. Light was formed. Six days of creation. All of these beautiful things transpiring. The plants, the animals, the fish, the birds, the sky, the water, the land. Humans, us. All of these things transpire. And then suddenly, Right off the bat in chapter 2, we see something take place that we had not yet noted up to this point. You see, up to this point, God is very busy. He's forming existence out of nothing. Each day, he takes a moment to recap what is done and, and ends that day with a very solid statement. He says this, it is good. Now we see in Genesis chapter 2... Verse 1, the Bible says this, So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. Look at your neighbor say, it's done. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day 
and declared it holy. Because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Now let me put a little side note in here. It has nothing to do scripturally, but it's a really funny story. You know you grow, grew up in southern Missouri. And I remember this distinctly. I had a t-shirt. And that t-shirt says, on the eighth day, are you ready for this? And it had a picture of a monster truck right on the front. And it said, on the eighth day, God went four-wheeling. Now, I can't prove that scripturally, but I did have the t-shirt. But if we go back to the seventh day, we see that God rested on the seventh day. For the next few moments, I want to take some time to look closely at what exactly took place in the seventh day of creation. Life as we know it has been created Everything around us has been set in motion. And verse 2 says that on the seventh day, God took the time to rest from all that he has done. The question is this, was God just wasting time? Was he bored? Was there nothing else to do? Did he run out of ideas? I don't think so. You see, everything that God does has a purpose. So tonight, very quickly, I want to look at three observations of the seventh day. By the way, this isn't going to be a lengthy message. I got to the latter portion of this message, and I was ready to go on to the next segment in Genesis chapter 2. And I realized that if I went to the next segment in Genesis chapter 2, we would be here a lot, lot longer. So you're welcome. I stopped on the seventh day. Three observations of the seventh day. Number one, God is a God of completion. God is a God of completion. Philippians chapter one, verse six says this, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, this verse is so encouraging. God is not about doing something halfway. He doesn't partially meet your need. He doesn't partially save your soul. He doesn't partially heal your body. You see, we serve a God that is on time. We serve a God that is all-sufficient. We serve a God that is lacking nothing. He's a job-finishing, problem-solving God. To me, that's amazing. And here it says that not during creation, not on day four did he take a break, not on day five did he take a break, not on day six did he kick his feet up for a moment, but on the seventh day when all creation was done, when everything was completed, when he had already done a recap and saw that it was very good, suddenly now he declares that it's all good and it's a moment's to rest. After all, he had already declared his love on creation. The second thing I see is this. God blessed the seventh day. Now, I'm going to get a little technical on you for just a moment. The word Sabbath 
is not found in this paragraph. But Moses is writing about the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week. The phrase seventh day is mentioned two or three times in verses two and three, depending on what translation you're reading. But Sabbath comes from the Hebrew, Hebrew word Shabbat. Look at your neighbor, say Shabbat. Hebrew word for Sabbath. It means to cease working, to rest, and is related to the Hebrew word seven or the seventh day. Now, I find it interesting that in the six days of creation, we see God look over all that has been done. And each time, he, it says this, he looked over all that he had done and he saw that it was good. Now on the seventh day, he says something different. The Bible says that this time around, God looked at the seventh day, the day of rest, and he blessed it. God blessed the seventh day. But here's what I find interesting. This blessing, as he blessed it, he allows it to become, become a blessing for you and for me. But too often what happens is we, we grab a hold of the wrong perspective. You see, we think for some reason that, that we were made for the Sabbath. That this resting is, is something that we've got to hone into. But too often it becomes more of a chore than it does a blessing. I believe that when we view it in the wrong context... We are missing out on the purpose for which it was given. After all, it was Jesus himself that said this. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not the people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. Let me say that again. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people, not the people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. How often do we find ourselves so focused on maintaining the Sabbath that it almost becomes a ritual or routine to follow? It becomes a lot like the mitzvah or the 613 laws of the Jewish people something that must be maintained, something that has to be done. Let this sink in for a moment tonight. The Sabbath was created to be a blessing, not a curse for each and every one of us. The Bible says that on the seventh day, God blessed it. Look at the third thing I see. God declared the seventh day holy. Not only did he bless the seventh day, not only did he rest on the seventh day, but the Bible says that God set it apart as holy, to be distinct, to be different. God set this day apart, not for its sake, but for our sake. And I want to challenge you tonight to take a day of the week. Maybe for you it's Sunday. Sunday's not a good Sabbath for me. Can I be honest with you? Sunday's a lot of work. 
I try Friday. In fact, just two days ago on Friday, I don't think I got out of bed till noon. Don't tell my wife she wasn't home. (laughs) You need those days. You need the time to allow God to renew something in you. You need that time of rest. God set it in motion. The Bible says on that seventh day, he rested. He blessed that day. He declared it holy. Here's what I find in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. It says, fools are so exhausted by a little work that they can't even find their way home. Have you found yourself just overrun with life? You find yourself giving and giving and giving and giving to where you have nothing left. Burning the candle at both ends and rather than extinguishing one end, you ask for more wax and realize later that's not how this works. Fools are so exhausted by a little work, they can't even find their way home. Have you ever been guilty of such a moment, allowing your work to become overwhelming and even tiresome? Now don't get me wrong, we've talked about it before. First Timothy reminds us that a a workman is worthy of his pay. We're not talking about being lazy tonight. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 says, if you don't work, you don't deserve to eat. I understand that we need to work. But God gave us the example. We need moments of rest. There must be a balance in our lives. Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. Not a life of of worn out, not a life of, of overdone, but a life that is renewed in him. It doesn't mean more hours at work, but to enjoy this life that he has made available to us. We are called to to set apart our Sabbath, to take the time to enjoy life, to take time to enjoy the beauty of creation, to take time to enjoy all that God has done for us. You see, the Sabbath was made for us, not us for the Sabbath. It's a day to allow God to refresh all that we are. Spirit, soul, mind, and body. The book of Psalm chapter 46 says this. God is my refuge and my strength. Always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. Go down to verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Be still and know that I am God. How often do we not hear the voice of God because we're so busy doing stuff? Listen carefully tonight. How often do we find ourselves so blocked by the things of life? And God says, would you just sit down for a moment? Would you just listen 
for a moment to what I'm trying to tell you. Look at this. Be still and know that I am God. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. In those times when it seems like the oceans are roaring, in those moments when it feels like the mountains are crumbling and we don't know what to do, God says, would you take a moment? Would you just sit down and rest? Would you let me renew something inside of you? I love how the contemporary English version says the same scripture. Calm down and learn that I am God. Wow. Just just calm down for a moment. Sit back, relax for a moment, and learn that He is God. Your refuge, your fortress, your foundation, your security, and your hope. What does this scripture mean to us? The first thing I see is this. We've got to be still. On the seventh day... God, the all-powerful, the almighty, the creator of the universe, took a moment to be still. To rest from the activities that he had done. Be still literally means to sink down, to relax. In other words, We are not to get all worked up in life, but to take the time to allow God to speak His peace, to speak His assurance into our hearts and into our lives. After all, by ourselves, His peace does not even make sense to us. The Bible says it surpasses all of our understanding. Yet in those moments, we've got to sit down. We've got to calm down. I say, God, I don't know what it looks like. Lord, I don't know what you're trying to speak into my life. But Lord, I'm going to take the time right now. I'm going to calm down and I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn that you are God. I'm going to let you speak into my life the way that, that you want to. Not, not my timing, God, but yours. I, I want you just to, to take the time, God, to, to pour into my life. The second thing is learn or to know. The word here, I love this word. The actual word is yada, meaning to, to know by experience or to perceive. So in other words, I've got to be still, I've got to calm down, and I've got to to learn by experience a one-on-one connection with the Father. Allowing Him to to lead me, and sometimes I'm going to have to experience something to understand what He has in store. Oftentimes we expect God to simply throw the answer our direction, but sometimes we have to learn through something Before we can come to the place of really knowing what is transpiring. Sometimes we have to go through a a week of Mondays in order to get to the weekend. Come on, are you letting that sink in? Oh, but pastor, I thought as Christians everything was rosy. Well, sure, it's a bed of roses, a lot of thorns. Right? See, sometimes we've got to experience six days of Monday. 
in order to get to that moment, that blessing day, that day that he's set apart, that day of, of rest and renewal, the day of trusting God, we need to take the time to learn, take the time to process through the good and, and through the bad. Those moments of, of sitting back, calming down, learning from the one that said, let there be lights. For the one that spoke life into existence. Taking the time to let the one who, who created us, that knew us before we were even born, while we're still in our mama's belly. He knew the plans, purpose that he has for our life. Sometimes we, I, I feel like we, we try to do things too much on our own. We try to figure it out by ourselves. But did you know there's some things that we're never going to figure out by ourselves? Because we have a limited understanding of life. I, I can see right now and I can see yesterday. But quite honestly, I can't tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. I've got a plan. I know what's on my agenda. I've already been making notes for staff meeting. Aren't you glad about that, Pastor Andy? We're going to join together as a staff at 9 o'clock. We're going to make a list of prayer needs. We're going to pray together. My spot of prayer is going to be right upstairs, right there, walking that hallway. We're going to spend time in prayer for about 20, 25 minutes. We're going to come back together and have about a two-hour staff meeting. After staff meeting, we'll have lunch. Then we'll go mentor at the elementary school. We'll come back, and I'll try to hit hard into Sunday morning's message and begin to move forward. That's my plan for tomorrow. But did you know that my plan can change that quick? You see, it's in those moments that I, I sit back and I say, God, I'm just going to trust in you. God, I, I'm going to rely upon you. Be still and know that he is God. For me... That's what the Sabbath is all about. What is it God's wanting you to really enjoy in this life? And you're missing out because you're so blocked by so much chaos in your life. There's a story that I want to read. It's called A Thousand Marbles. I found this story many, many years ago and came back across it this week. It says, I turned the volume up on my radio in order to listen to the Saturday morning talk show. I heard an old-sounding chap, and that tells you how old the story is, with a golden voice. You know the kind. He sounded like he should be in a broadcast business himself. He was talking about a thousand marbles to someone by the name of Tom. I was intrigued, and I sat down to listen to what he had to say. Well, Tom, it sure sounds like you're, a, you're busy with your job. I'm sure they pay you well, but it's a shame that you have to be away from home and away from your family so much. Hard to believe a young fellow should have to work 60 or 70 or even 80 hours a week to make ends meet. Too bad you missed your daughter's dance recital this week. He continued, let me tell you something, Tom. Something that has helped me to keep a, a good perspective, the right perspective on the priorities in my life. And that's when he began to explain his theory of a thousand marbles. 
You see, I sat down one day and did a little arithmetic. The average person lives about 75 years. I know some live more and some live a little less, but on average, folks live about 75 years. Now then, I multiplied 75 times 52, and I came up with 3,900, which is a number of Saturdays that the average person has their entire lifetime. Now stick with me, Tom. I'm getting to the important part. It took me until I was 55 years old to think about all that is in the detail. He went on. And by that time, I had already lived through over 2,800 Saturdays. I got to thinking that if I lived to be 75, I only had about 1,000 Saturdays left. So I went to the toy store. And I bought every single marble that they had. I ended up having to visit three toy stores and rounding up a thousand marbles. I took them home and I put them inside a very large clear plastic container. It's right here in my workshop. It's where I listen to the radio. Every Saturday since, I have taken one marble out and I've thrown it away. I found that by watching the marbles diminish, I focused more on what's really important in life. There's nothing like watching your time here on earth begin to run out. It helps you to set better priorities, to figure out what's really important. Now let me tell you one last thing before I sign off. I want to take my lovely wife to breakfast, by the way. This morning, I took out the, well, the very last marble out of my container. I I figure if I make it until next Saturday, then God has blessed me with a little extra time to be with my loved ones. It was nice to talk to you, Tom. I hope you spend more time with your loved ones. And I hope to meet you again someday. Have a great morning. I, I began to... To read that. And can I be honest with you? It convicted me a bit. Because I find myself getting so busy in life. Always on the go. Always doing something. Every night of the week has some form of meeting. Somebody needs my attention. But I would venture to say that in a room this size, I'm not really the only one. You see, we can all learn a lesson from this lovely chap tonight. We've lost focus of what's really important. It's vital that we truly experience all the life that God has set before us. Again, Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. He didn't say, I've come that you might fill your calendar with more stuff. On the seventh day, God rested. On the seventh day, He blessed it so that it could be a blessing to us. I I told you last week that we serve a powerful and a loving God. I believe that the seventh day of creation is a prime example of both the power and the love of God. 
You see, through the seventh day, God gave us an opportunity to do something that oftentimes we take for granted. We really don't appreciate it as much. And that's rest. Listen carefully. It was theologian John Bale who wrote in an article in 1962. The article was titled, The Theology of Sleep. And here's what he wrote. My subject is the theology of sleep. But you've never heard anybody preach on the theology of sleep, have you? It is an unusual subject. But I make no apology for it. I think we hear too few sermons about sleep. After all, we spend a very large share of our lives sleeping. I suppose that on average, I've slept about eight hours out of 24 hours during my entire life. And that means that I've slept for well over 20 years. Now, don't you agree then that the Christian gospel should have something to say about sleeping, the sleeping third of our lives, as well about the waking two-thirds of it. I want you to wrap yourself around this for a moment. We need a balance in our lives. You need the time of work. A workman is worthy of his pay. If you don't work, you don't deserve to eat. I've told you the Chinese proverb before, I believe. No worky, no eaty. <laughs> we, we, need those, we need those times. But we also need the moments of enjoyment. Of hanging out with our family. Of letting God renew something in us. We need those times of rest and renewal church i believe there is something vitally important that we're missing we sleep about a third of our life 8 hours a day we spend sleeping but next i guess the next question should be this what are we doing with the other 2 thirds are you investing your life like you should Are you living the life that God has set before you to live? What is going to be said about you when you're gone? Pastor Andy, if you'll come. About a year ago, I did a series on a Sunday morning that I simply called, How Long's Your Shadow? And in this series, we took some time to to really look at what sort of legacy we're leaving behind. What is it that's going to be written on your tombstone? What's happening in that dash in your life? And I made this statement during the second week of that series. You will pass something on to the next generation. The question is, what will it be? Mom, Dad, even now, you are preparing to to leave something behind to your next generation. Grandma and grandpa, you're leaving something behind to the next generation. Young person, teenager, you're leaving something behind to the next generation. The question is, what will it be? I want you to think about that just for a few moments. 
What is it that you're leaving for the generations to come? For your children? For your grandchildren? What is it that you will leave behind? The book of Psalm chapter 78 says this. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of our Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. I challenge you tonight, don't miss the opportunity to pass something of value on to the next generation. See, God set it in motion. He spent the time in creation detailing all of life as we know it. Each one, he said it's good. And when he got all done, he looked over all of creation. He said it is very good. The Bible says that on the seventh day, he took the time to rest. He blessed that day so that it could be a blessing for you and for me. The question I have for you is this. Are you leaving a godly example to the next generation? Are you leaving something of eternal value for the generations that follow? Have you taken it upon yourself to follow the example of God? See, God himself set a motion of the importance of rest, of renewal, taking time to sit back and soak up of all the goodness. But he also saw the importance of productivity and advancement. We are called to do both. Maybe you're like me, you can't always figure it out. It's okay. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. Take a look at this scripture. Trust God with all your heart. With all that is in you, all that is through you, trust God. Seek Him with all that you do. Commit everything to Him. Then and only then will your path be clear. Do you see that? Only when you put total dependence upon God, only when you give all of your allegiance to Him, committing everything to Him, then and only then will there be clarity in your life which path to follow. It's not for us to understand by ourselves, but to rely upon Him. My question is this. Do you want to leave a lasting legacy for your family? It starts by giving control to God. I want to encourage you tonight. Turn your life over to Him. Commit your life to Him. See, He's got a plan and a purpose. But it's our responsibility to trust Him.